0: Welcome to the She Wore Black Podcast. I'm Agatha Andrews. Today, I chat with suspense author Rachel Hawkins, known in the romance community as Erin Sterling. We talk about both her suspense and her witchy rom-coms, as well as her inspiration from gothic classics. You can pre-order any of her books using my bookshop.org link to support the show, as well as independent bookstores nationwide. That's at bookshop.org shop slash she wore black. You can also help out the show by following She Wore Black on Twitter and Instagram and leaving me a review wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for joining me today. Now onto the show. Right, Well, Rachel Hawkins slash Erin Sterling. I will call you Rachel for the duration of the show, but I want to welcome you to the show to talk about your variety of books that you give for uh, my audience that actually wind up being perfect for them. Yes.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me. I am so happy to, to be on this podcast. This is right up my alley, both <laughs> as a writer and a reader. So, you to be here.
0: Well, let's start with the obvious question that a lot of Twitter people have, which is you write under two names. You have your witchy rom-coms under Aaron Sterling, and you use Rachel Hawkins for your suspense. So do you want to talk about, uh, as a writer, is that helpful for you? Have you found that that works well for your marketing? Like, can you talk about pros and cons of that for yeah. our listeners?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, it's an interesting thing. And I never really necessarily thought about using a pen name in the past. Um, what happened in, in this case and why I sort of have a pen name is that it's a, it's a weird sort of quirk of timing, Yeah, um, which is that I had written and sold the wife upstairs to St. Martin's Press um, in, I believe it was like December 2018, maybe. Mm-hmm. And so I'd been working on that one and it was supposed to come out um, earlier than it did. And then it didn't. And it, it actually, for once, it wasn't because I was late with something. It was, there, <laughs> were, there were a couple of corporate things. There was another book that was coming out that they were afraid it would sort of, you know, be confused with. And, and they'd had like an author drop out of a certain slot for publishing. And they were like, well, we need a book for that slot. Could this book maybe go there? So So the timing for The Wife Upstairs had been a little odd. And then in the interim of that, I had written the X-Hex and decided to sell it. And so I was in a weird thing where I was selling a new book when my most recent book that I had just sold had not yet come out. Mm -hmm. And so we were all a little worried, me, my agent, my editor at St. Martin's Press and my editor at Avon, which is the X-Hex's editor, about uh, confusion of like because especially I had had a career as Rachel Hawkins as a YA author for so long, mm. and so the wife upstairs was very much kind of I think positioned as like the adult debut of Rachel Hawkins, and so when we weren't kind of sure where the XX would fit in that, you know, we we didn't want to step on anybody's toes on either side, and so it was obvious then like the the best thing to do was to put the XX under a pen name with the understanding that I was going to be like super open about the fact that I was also Aaron Sterling. Like there was no kind of, who is this person, you know? Yeah. Um, So we all just sort of agreed that that was kind of the best way to go. And I've really enjoyed it, honestly. Um, You know, I'm sure like, you know, it's, it can be a little difficult, like reminding people that you're both or like sometimes, especially because like the Aaron Sterling books come out in the fall and now the Rachel Hawkins books come out like really early winter. So like in January, usually. So sometimes I do feel like I'm doing like five straight months of like, I've got a book coming out. Have you yeah. seen it? Uh, which like feels annoying to me, but I don't think that like readers take it that way necessarily. Like, I think that's like a weird kind of writer insecurity of like, am I talking too much about myself? Yeah. Um, no you're not you're not talking enough I'll just
0: answer that right now
1: (laughs) good thank you because I always like you know I have that like oh I don't want to go too hard on myself promo um but no I think it's been great like I've really enjoyed it and it makes sense to me because the books just truly are you know wildly different like the voice is different the yes subject matter is obviously very different so it just it's made sense to me and also that it means that sometimes I can do fun things like I love when people don't realize that I'm the same person I love when somebody's like come to a Rachel Hawkins signing and then I'm like oh well if you've read the x-hacks or whatever if you want to get a copy that I can sign that too and they're like "Wait, wait You, you wrote that too? Like, that's really fun. To, that makes me feel like I've got like a superhero identity or something.
0: Well, there's some pretty big precedent for doing this. I mean, yeah. Queen Nora Roberts. Yes. mean she's also JD Robb and exactly yeah and so that's also like romance versus suspense like Nora Roberts is her romance and JD Robb is her suspense and men will read JD Robb and not have any idea it's Nora Roberts you know exactly. because <laughs> as a librarian you know I I have I witnessed for years I the the reaction that men will have to women writing mm-hmm. i think the horror community is a little bit better about that regarding yeah, you know there are that yeah they're a little bit more open but when it comes to like suspense there is still very like gendered reactions to things Oh, for sure and I find that interesting um that they'll pick up a JD Robb and have no idea you
1: know (laughs) right this is nor this is Queen Nora Roberts you guys like yeah 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 and those books are like as someone who's a big fan of both like they they also they read very differently
0: yeah um
1: so yeah I think it makes sense
0: Yeah. Well, I, I, it's funny though, because I can still tell, like, I want to say, I can still tell it's you maybe because I know, Yeah. uh, (laughs) but your contemporaries, which are your, well, I guess they're all contemporary, but the, yeah, the I, and I, I guess I'm referring to them as contemporaries because they, they are sort of not really remakes, but they're like, they pay homage to classics. So maybe yeah, that's absolutely. why I was referring to yeah, it. That as, makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. As contemporary. That's not what I mean, but no, it, I get, I get you though. Yeah, <laughs> Yeah. But those will have characters that will make kind of snarky jokes or whatever, and you have, and your witch books are rom-com, so the sense of humor is still there, even though your suspense books are proper suspense.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I love, I mean, you know, part of it is that, like, my YA books were always funny, like, that was kind of, like, what I was, that was my niche in YA, And it wasn't something I really wanted to give up. And I love a black comedy. I love like a super duper dark humor kind of thing. Um, And so I love bringing humor to the suspense just because like, you know, some of the situations like if you really wanna go there are kind of like ludicrous and like, you know like again, really out there. And so having characters that are sort of acknowledging like, oh, this is very out there. Um, is fun to me you know and I think too like sometimes when you make people laugh and I see this too and like the, the horror things that I enjoy as well if you have like a thread of humor sometimes it even lets you go darker yes. because people are having a good time with you and they're like this is fun I'm laughing or whatever and so they'll allow you to really like be like okay let's let's go as dark as we can with this to it's sort of like what feels like it's natural conclusion um yeah and, and I think the humor makes
0: them trust you a little on that. I'm glad you said that because I think like Rachel Harrison and Grady Hendrix mm-hmm. are very good at that too. And yeah. you know because like your witch your witch books are rom-coms oh, yeah. that have the spooky elements, you know mm-hmm. the they like the ex hex had a ghost that yeah. was you know unnerving and <laughs> of course anything witchy is going to have that in, inherent question right, of where it's going to go, what direction is this magic going to take, and what's the threat, because there's always a threat in a witch story, right? Right, exactly. Um, But it's why, like, even things like The Addams Family were so successful, because it's spooky and and comedic, like, all at once.
1: Right, and those are, like I said, like, the horror movies that I love are things like, you know, Jennifer's Body or Ready or Not, that really give you like jokes and like winky bits while also like genuinely being scary and having these and that was one thing especially in the witch books and the rom-coms like I still wanted to be spooky they're still Halloween books you know and and as someone who genuinely like loves that genre um I wanted to pay homage to that too I wanted to be sure that it wasn't just kind of light spookiness you know that like no these things are dangerous like people die yes. you know, or whatever like there's definitely like the threat of real fatal peril
0: yeah. um,
1: yes and that's why we're still having a good time and there's kissing and all that good stuff but it's, I, I just think like the balance there again if, if you want to do a, a Halloween book like I, I do want it to have like a little bit of an edge of while course, still yes. being a rom-com
0: you know And there's absolutely an audience for that too. Mm -hmm. And um, you've probably seen as much as I have, like the increased interest interest in like horror-mance. And I think that this is perfect for that like new wave of interest.
1: Absolutely. Well, I've always said like horror and like they're two two great tastes that go great together. You know, like they're both like heightened in interesting ways. And I think they can like play off of each other in really interesting ways um I always talk about like you know my favorite movie ever basically is Crimson Peak and that when I went to go see that in the theater my friend joked because she was with me and it was the first time I'd seen it I was like levitating out of my seat like in the opening because I realized that this was going to be like an excellent combination of those two things um I think I saw it in the theater like four times because I was just like this is this is everything I want because these two things really do they they enhance right. each other in interesting ways.
0: Well, what you are giving us with your witch books, which are not which is not in crimson peak necessarily, yeah. is the H E A, the happily ever after. Yes, yeah, we that's have...
1: the twist on the horror romance. <laughs> <laughs> we have that guarantee. Yes, um, these two people are going to be happy together and no one is doing naughty things with a sibling. Like
0: oh you know, God. yeah, that's true too. Having
1: gone to those places <laughs> with it.
0: Oh, yeah, that's the difference. Like, cause there there has been that argument online also about like you know it's not gothic unless it has incest which is hot garbage oh my lord yeah Um, like that's a you it's a trope it's not a mandatory it's not a mandatory and again like
1: there's such a difference between like and i'm saying this with like my victorian lit degree like planted in the ground like there's a difference between like gothic is such a it's it's a very broad umbrella term and there are many subcategories and so gothic romance is such a different kind of vibe from like your and again these things can overlap obviously i think that crimson peak is a gothic romance but that it has more of the sort of unsettling elements of like the true gothic within it and so you get your incest and all that but like you know if you read like victoria holt or something like you so you get a happily ever after or even something like mexican gothic yeah uh you know or a happily for now at least you know yeah yeah. thing It's you know there's room for everything.
0: It is different. And thank you for, I love that you can whip out the academia behind it going, it is different. It's different, okay? Like, there's lots of
1: different things we can talk about here.
0: Oh my goodness. Well, before we talk about um, your new books, I want to ask this, going back to the idea of two separate, you're writing in two separate genres, you have uh, names for each one so that it's a branding. Yeah. And I want to know, as a writer, because you have these things coming out relatively close together, Mm -hmm. is it, I mean, they hit different beats. As a writer, does that get mixed up in your mind? Bizarrely, no.
1: Just because they are so wildly different. um, I can write these books at the same time. Like, I always say that, like, if you read The X-Hex and Reckless Girls, I like, I always want people to know, like, those were written within, like, I turned in a draft of the X-Hex in May of 2020. And then I turned in the first draft of Reckless Girls in August, 2020. Okay. So they, they're they fraternal twins in many ways, which is, but they're, I mean, there's, there's no overlap. They're incredibly and, different books. Yes, they are. Um, but that for me as a writer is just really satisfying because it just means that I'm not locked into the same thing. And so, you know, <clears throat> I always say that, with writing, sometimes when people have not published a book before, they, when they're ready to start writing a book and to get into publishing, they're like, oh, I could easily write three, four books a year. Because if you look at just how much time is actually needed to write a book, or if you wrote X amount of pages a day for 365 days, how many books does that become? And that's all true. The, The thing that that doesn't take into account is that being a published author is not just drafting a book. Yeah, And so there's drafting a book, there's editing a book, there's promoting a book. So even if you're doing one book a year, that it's still kind of three books a year, because usually you're promoting the one that you wrote a couple of years ago. You're drafting the one coming out in a couple of years, and you're editing the one that's coming out next year. So it's kind of a, so when you've got two books that are sort of in that cycle, (laughs) I know it can get kind of crazy, but at the same time, because the books are so different it's not as bad as I thought it would be like you know in terms of just like the workload um, and like the potential for burnout (laughs) Um, they
0: are very different they're
1: wildly different and like I even I mean and that's very much on purpose like I write them in different point of views so like my thrillers tend to be first and third person point of view present and the romances are third person past every single time uh the romances are two povs whereas the thrillers have multiple narrators a lot of the time they've got um i actually like one of the first books that i truly fell in love with as a teenager was carrie because like you know a classic yeah And one of the things that i love in carrie and if you go back and reread it it'll i think really stick out again is that he does all these little things of like here's a news article about like what happened, here's a textbook, here's an interview with somebody sort of put throughout the text. And I always love that. And so I do a lot of that in my thrillers is kind of like an homage uh, to the ghost And king. Um, and so like, but things like that, like that's so wildly different from what I'm doing over in the romances. And yeah, it just really helps it to keep them extremely separate in my brain.
0: Do you have two different fandoms or are they people, or is it mostly people like me that love both things?
1: It's really weird. I haven't been able, and I guess it's because like, I like my entire adult publishing career has taken place in the, in the pandemic. So I haven't gotten like enough of a sense yet because I I haven't gotten out there enough. I think Uh Um, there's definitely crossover. Um and like I said a lot of times people like both and don't know that I'm the same person. Yeah. Although it's hilarious cuz my uh author photo in the book but if you read it like on e i guess you don't see that but like I have the same author photo <laughs> like it's extremely obvious that I'm the same person. Um so yeah I think on the whole though it feels like two different fan bases. Yeah. Um but then I also have the weirdness of like having written YA for so long and I feel like some of my YA fan base followed me into thrillers, and the others were like, mm, "I'll read her romances though." So that's also kind of funny and like an added wow. element to the whole thing.
0: I I was just talking about this with Simone St. James, basically mm-hmm. about the female lens in this genre of like thriller yeah. or gothic, because it is different, and I and I yeah. feel like male audiences should be able to enjoy books written by women. But oh, yes. I love that the, your books sort of revel in it. You have very feminine covers. Mm-hmm. You have, um, you know, cl- clearly female centric stories. Um, mm-hmm. Part of that is paying homage to Previous classics, The Wife Upstairs is an is a reference to Jane Eyre. And I love how you even hit certain Jane Eyre beats. And I've had a few Jane Eyre re like homage remake authors on here. I had Mimi Matthews talking about Jane Eyre. So good good though. Yeah. Yeah. And I just had Gwendolyn Keist on. With Reluctant Immortals. Yes. Um, so yeah. yeah is. So Jane Eyre is, is kind of having, I mean, I know this is, you know, your first one that you released as a suspense. You've had The Reckless Girls out since and you have in, The Via coming out very soon. But I, I do want to talk about that too, because Jane Eyre is really having a moment. She is like, yeah. Um, yeah.
1: You know, it's and what's interesting about that is that uh the wife upstairs was actually um a Right for Hire project. Mm. So in that case, that was where um Alloway publishers who do a lot of books, they do the gossip girl books, they do the yeah. series you that's on Netflix, they're really great. They had actually reached out to my agent and they were like, We're interested in doing a modern Jane Eyre retelling do you have an author that might want to get on board with that and thankfully she emailed me and was like do you want to get on board with that and i absolutely did um and then but it was a an extremely collaborative process like so i mean they were like you know jane eyre but modern
0: yeah yeah
1: i was in a panic room in a mcmansion and that was about it and then i went up to new york and like we really hashed it out so i always say that while it started as work for hire uh, you know the book is very much my like I wrote every word of it and like I you know and they were very supportive of that and of me sort of being like you know this is sort of like set in like generic Connecticut what if we said it in the south because I have got some things to say <laughs> man do you <laughs> <laughs> about my home state uh, and I feel like I can safely say them because I still live here you know it's easy if you like move away to be like well blah, 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 you know no, I'm still that's here. the
0: difference. What I found in, in the wife upstairs and what you're just saying right now, it's there's a difference when you're from there and you know mm-hmm. it intimately. Right. You describe things like women would wear lavender to a funeral, or yeah, yeah. you know,
1: <laughs> exactly. You know, minutia they, they play tennis and pearls, yeah. yeah. Um, that kind of thing. Yeah, so that was really um that was so much fun to really dig into like especially taking something that is such like a classic of gothic literature and being like how do we now take that and funnel it through the southern gothic lens which is you know southern gothic is so much its own thing um and so that was really fun and so yeah but i think that that really does prove that like the fact that alloy was kind of like we would like a jane Eyre retail like there was something in the water um and i just think that like there are so many things, because when I approached the wife upstairs, one of the big things that I said right up front was that I was like, I'm not interested in doing a beat for beat retelling of Jane Eyre, because um, I think sometimes when you do retellings, it can be easy to get a little lazy, you know what I mean? Like and just, you're sort of like, well, what, why are you retelling this? What are you doing with this? And what's fascinating is I think that like, Right now, like all of the Jane Eyre retellings. And a few years ago, you had um Lindsay Faye with Jane Steele, which I loved. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, has the reader I killed him, uh, as her kind of I, I have a different take on the reader I married him and the wipe upstairs. But um, but that was like such a great and interesting book that took a lot of the Jane Eyre elements, but did something really new with them, and so when I was doing The Wife Upstairs, I was thinking of things like that and how, again, I was like, the book already exists as it is. I want to put enough sort of Easter eggs in. Yes. So that like, if you've read Jane Eyre, you're like, oh, I see what you're doing here. Like, oh, the dog is named Adele. Look at you. Um, It's (laughs) Thornfield Estates is the neighborhood. Ha ha. But I wanted anybody who had never even opened Jane Eyre to come right into that book it had to work for them and that was actually to me like that was the audience I needed to satisfy more even probably than people who'd read Jane Eyre you know yeah Yeah. Um, so yeah I just think that but so when I was approaching it it was it was like a thing of like I don't want to do a retelling but I would like to do a remix and so what are the like core themes in this book that I you know in the original that I'm interested in looking at and I think Jane Eyre has so much about money and class and oh my gosh. Sex and gender. And so it's not surprising to me that like a book that has these really big ideas in it is one that a lot of authors are going to want to take and kind of play with those ideas in their own way. Um,
0: well, so Alabama and like Southern society culture was yeah. so perfect. Mm-hmm. to acknowledge that issue that was going on in Victorian times and I love that you have that Victorian academic background because it is probably second nature for you to be able to identify things <laughs> in in current life and culture particularly mm-hmm. where you are you know I mean I, I heard the mums you know you saw yeah, yeah. <laughs> mean <laughs> the whole you know roll tide and everything oh yeah
1: that whole thing yeah it's,
0: it's such a thing exactly and I laughed because here it would be I'm a, I went to UT so I'm a Longhorn okay. you yeah, know not I'm that like I went a World World. to a single football game you know
1: <laughs> <laughs> again I went to Auburn I live in Auburn and I still don't go to games I'm hiding yeah. in my house because we're playing Penn State today
0: <laughs> I I was Gen X. So I was in Austin in the mid nineties, which meant I was at shows and I oh, was yeah. so doing all that stuff. I was not going to football games. I was washing no, no, no. in
1: pits. <laughs> <laughs> same. We probably moshed in the same pit at some point.
0: <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, but it's interesting because one of the things, since you know, Victorian literature and you know, gothic so well, what are the things I think that you do differently, both in the wife of and in and reckless girls is that you still have elements of gothic like isolation and she's and, and each of your characters are so like your main characters are socially isolated they don't really have family so they right. don't have a, the safety net a social safety net they really yeah. a social isolation i think is almost as terrifying as being physically isolated from mm-hmm. people um right. and the other thing is that i thought was really interesting is there's no decay but it still feels like you still feel that gothic homage you know yeah so what happens is not only is there no decay you have the opposite there's this very slick veneer in these stories of wealth you know versus like poverty and social isolation of the main character um and and so what that does is it creates a vulnerability in your female main character Mm -hmm. that is still a problem. Like women are, it's still hard for women out there in the world. And so you're sort of addressing some of those Gothic themes, but with this like slick veneer of wealth and (laughs) douchebags.
1: Yeah, Exactly. Well, because like, that's the thing, like when I was really thinking about it, I was like, you know, the idea that we've always sort of been told that like America is a classless society is completely not the case. It's just that class looks a little different over here maybe than it does if you're looking at like the traditional English gothics or whatever. So yeah I'm always really interested in that and I I didn't really realize that I was so interested in that until I started writing The Wife Upstairs Mm -hmm. and then it was something I realized I was like oh I have a lot to say about money and the ways in which, you know, especially in The Wife Upstairs that, and, and I think it, it's in Reckless Girls as well, that Jane and Lux both are sort of like money fixes it, you know, money makes it easy, and in some ways it does, but in others there's all these sort of strings attached that are not quite what they signed on for. Um, and yeah, so I'm glad you really pointed that out, that like, yeah, the, the social isolation, the that I don't have a family, which I had not really realized continues to be, and it's in the villa as well, with the main character there having sort of, I mean, she's got a family, but she's going through a divorce that's been very destabilizing, and, and so, you know, she's in this kind of toxic friendship with her childhood best friend, because this is the one person that she's kind of clung to, um, and so, yeah, I just, I don't know, I find that endlessly fascinating, because I do, I think you can really... Um, hit on a lot of really sort of resonant themes with those kinds of ideas of like where's my place in things what is what is my where are my dreams like who gets to actually obtain their dreams and why you know that sort of thing
0: in your acknowledgments at the end of wife upstairs you say to every woman who ever got to the end of Jane Eyre and thought honestly Jane you could do better yeah
1: like (laughs) That man is a mess, Jane, (laughs) like my Lord. But at the same time, like one of the things that's enjoyable um, in Jane Eyre in a lot of ways, and it's obviously writ large in Wuthering Heights, different Bronte, but very similar sensibilities, um, is that idea of like, we're both disaster people. Maybe together we would either be less disastrous or we would be such a cataclysm For everyone around us yes then everyone would be affected by the disaster inside of us that's weathering heights to me is like you know um and so yeah i think like but yeah rochester like he tries to trick you into bigamy like he dresses up as a fortune teller at one point and like (sighs) he's what a weird dude (laughs)
0: <laughs>
1: um, now, don't get me wrong. Like St. John Rivers is not the one either. And I'm I am I love how you
0: incorporated him in the book. Yeah, oh I'm my so gosh. mean to him in The Wife Upstairs. But
1: honestly, I think he deserves it. I feel like yes. I got to the heart of St. John Rivers and and what his whole deal is. Hard agree. Yeah, I, I love yeah.
0: that. And so the Easter eggs were present and delightful. Yeah, <laughs> with reckless girls yeah with reckless girls I know that it was um a very loose homage to and then there were none Mm -hmm. by Agatha Christie and in both of these and I'm not I refuse to spoil anything yeah (laughs) it's like a key element that's that's slightly different but what your key element that is slightly different does is allow an empowerment that wasn't in the original text
1: right exactly which is like the the pleasure of getting to write in the 21st century for a 21st century audience um
0: is that your objective with these though
1: in, in like not necessarily like just you know I certainly don't go at it with that idea originally but I think like in the case of um Reckless Girls in particular you know that ending took time like there were several different versions of it and what was fascinating was that when I talked it out with different people in my life kind of trying to figure out right. like, what is the ending here um everybody kind of had a different feeling and like it depends like my husband definitely preferred an ending that does not exist but my girlfriends were very much pro the ending that it has mm. um and i thought that was really interesting um so yeah i don't necessarily go at it with that but at the same time um I I want it to feel, somebody asked me um, about Reckless Girls specifically, like, do you think that this is a happy ending? And I said, I don't know, because like, that's honestly, like, weirdly is not my call to make as an author. I said, I think it's the right ending for the character. I think that I, you know, and that's why it took so many tries to get right because I wrote so many different versions but then when I really looked at the book I was like there's only one way this is leading and any of these other things feel slightly like cop-outs or they feel like um it it just didn't satisfy me as much as what ended up happening so I was like yeah I don't know if this is a happy ending for it's kind of like the movie Midsummer." when I was like when I got to the end of Midsummer, I'm like I mean this doesn't seem great for her like right this was super cathartic even as I'm like well you're with a weird Swedish cult now spoilers for Midsummer. it came out like three years ago get on it
0: (laughs) uh well and it's funny though because even with Jane Eyre there's a slight or, or your wife upstairs I mean there's a slight like well yeah
1: hmm. <laughs> you know. and it goes even harder in the villa. it gets like that I double down on that kind of feeling, but uh, I kind of like that in thrillers yet. i and I think a lot of that too comes out of like having read a lot of like horror short fiction when I was young. um loving like I always love that in horror short stories, you can just kind of end on like a I don't know, I think maybe they get eaten next, you know, or something like that. Like, <laughs> you don't have to really wrap it up sometimes you can just do sort of a dun 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 and now what happens you know i think that's so fun i love the ambiguity of it and i do think that when you get people like in the wife upstairs and reckless girls and the villa like these people that get into these really dark complicated messy situations there's just not going to be to me a a clear-cut ending uh like this was right and good and justice and might have prevailed Like, it's got to be a kind of dark, messy, complicated ending. Which is
0: human, you know? Right,
1: right. And that's what I'm, like, so interested, especially writing the thrillers. I've joked that, like, you know, I loved writing YA and my YA characters were still complicated and all of that, but there was still kind of a thing of, like, well, you want them to be happy? They're kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, at the end of the day, like, I, I tried to write a YA horror novel once and realized I couldn't because I just... I just couldn't kill teenagers. Now I've watched oh. a million slasher movies and been fine with that. But like for me personally, I I just couldn't do it. And and so with the thrillers, I sort of have a little more, I feel like leeway to be like, hey, maybe it doesn't end all great for
0: them. I don't know. but see, slashers are sort of revisiting themselves anyway. I'm not a slasher yeah. person. Yeah. But what we grew up with in the 80s, aside from the rampant misogyny. Yeah we were living in a different time, you Mm -hmm. know, in a time where mass shootings are real and open carry is real and Mm -hmm. human trafficking is really at the forefront of things like teenagers are living in a different world. And I think treating that it's very difficult for us to, I think, treat them the way they were treated in the 80s. Right, well,
1: and again, and even in the, those 80s slasher movies, if you look at like Halloween or like the Friday the 13th movies, which I recently watched like the first Friday the 13th with my 16-year-old and he was like this is gross. Like like the sexual politics and the like he was immediately like Rrr. uh and he's a horror fan as well. Um but it's almost like those are even though they're technically human beings behind the masks they're still yeah. monsters they're still like a mythic fairy tale quality almost to those um whereas yes exactly like you know teenagers today are living in a very different world and i think too like having my own teenager at home kind of changes right. as well as these things do um so, yeah, it's just, but, but with adults, I feel okay. Sort of leading everybody's <laughs> <Bodies> everywhere. <laughs> I, well, that was always like the thing that I always wanted to say was that like everybody, wherever they end up at the end of my books, they went into it eyes wide open at the yeah. end, like whatever happens to them at the end is a choice. It is not something that happens to them.
0: Mm-hmm. They
1: have made their bed and whether or not that was a good bed or not, well, that's on them now they were grown
0: up. Um, that's interesting because I feel like there's almost not attention drawn to it in a distracting way but that mm-hmm. exact thing is something I was thinking about as I was reading both Wife Upstairs and Reckless Girls mm-hmm. like you like you we follow as the reader their train of thought on what the like each decision could ultimately do exactly. for them and the potential consequence of each action that they take yes so, yes so but they're vulnerable people they're in, they're living vulnerable lives. They're not okay. Mm -hmm. You know, they're not established. They don't have the family safety net as we discussed. They, you know, they're coming from emotional vulnerability as well as social isolation. So even though we may say as they're going along, what are you doing? What are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. Because (laughs) we're coming from experience they're off you know we're coming from a different place we're mm-hmm. not in that position making you know having to make these choices right
1: and and yeah where there when you're driving um sort of motivation in a lot of ways is like security like i just want to be safe yeah. i just want no one to mess with me ever again like what does it take to yeah. make me untouchable which i think is like jane's thing and the wife upstairs is like i want enough money and status or whatever that i am untouchable yeah and then you know quickly realizes that like she's gotten in over her head with the people that um she's thought can provide that but same with looks in a lot of ways you know <laughs> where she just wants um she wants freedom she wants and again, like the, the weirdness of wanting both security and freedom at the same time and like yeah. that kind of tension. And, um, but yeah, so that's, that's kind of my thing. Yeah. Is that I, exactly. I want you to understand that like these people don't always make the best decisions or you can yeah. sort of say like, oh, that's not what I would have done, but they're coming from a place of, of like genuine real vulnerability on multiple fronts
0: Yeah, that,
1: that makes their decision making a little more desperate. Which, of course, then ratchets up the tension, which is always what you want. It's right? that's, <laughs> why it's, that's why I want to keep turning the pages. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, what's going to happen now? Oh,
0: yeah. <laughs> I know it, it was funny because I was listening to Reckless Girls a while ago, whenever I was, I have the book, but it's one of those things you've yeah. probably heard me say this on the podcast. If you've listened that there mm-hmm. are books where when I'm not reading it, I don't want to leave the story. So I actually have yeah. the audio too. I've given you money in two different ways. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. The audio of
1: That one is particularly good. Yeah. Like, so I was like, so pleased how it turned out.
0: Yeah. So I'm, you know, if I'm not like sitting down, reading it, I'm cooking. I'm like, shit, I've got to cook now. right (laughs) I'm like I could just turn on the audio (laughs) yeah that's perfect I love that I love that (laughs) um but yeah it keep yeah I kept I was so compelled to turn each page or to keep listening I didn't want to be away from the story um and one of the things about Reckless Girls is that it is based on one of my top favorite novels of all time even though it's a loose homage yeah very loose yeah yeah and then there were none it's loose homage like nothing about the characters is specific to the characters in this in agatha christie's novel it's more of a situation how as far as like they ultimately become physically isolated and you know bad things happen in this isolation
1: everybody on this island has their baggage like everybody's got some sort of backstory yes uh, that is like pushing this plot forward it's not nearly as kind of because actually with that book too an interesting thing my editor and I talked about was that um I really like the the first draft of it everything was much more calculated everybody's kind of plan became very crystal clear and I was like in each draft all of that got messier and messier and I was like that's actually what I really want here I don't want the sense that this was all some master plan I want the sense that like if this particular group of people had not ended up at this particular space, none of this would have happened. Right. But all of them are carrying this weird stuff that is unique to them, but sets in motion a lot of things that of course wind up in a bunch of dead bodies on an island.
0: <laughs> whereas Christie's was very specifically plotted. Right, it's it's yeah. extremely,
1: like it is one person being like, I'm doing this and this is yeah. my puppet show. Um, Whereas yes, with this one, like I said, it started out a little bit more like that and then it just got like, no, 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 that doesn't work for this group. It works perfectly for, and then there were none, which again is also one of my, I watched the Rewatched the BBC miniseries a uh, oh, year with Aiden I love Turner. Drama.
0: Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. Did you rewind okay. his towel scene a few times I'm like I do, serious.
1: or like where he's walking like through the smoke and like smoking oh. and his shirt's all unbuttoned? I think even my husband was like, "Oh, that is a man." Like, <laughs> <laughs> was like, I'm extremely straight, but I'm just saying. Like, <laughs> I mean, there are
0: YouTube montages yeah. of all of
1: his <laughs> scenes. <laughs> I also love his character too, because he's like the only yes. woman like, oh yeah, I absolutely did that. Yeah, I did all that. I should probably die for that. <laughs> like-
0: right, right. And I love how in Agatha Christie's book, he's described as having a wolfish grin. And I'm like, there is no other actor who no, more like- perfectly <laughs> encapsulates the man, like the handsome man with the wolfish grin. I'm like, yes, that's That's him him. him. (laughs) absolutely oh my gosh that was a spectacular adaptation I thought
1: yeah I love um like Sarah Phelps did that adaptation she did several others like Witness for the Prosecution and um I can't think of the other names like they all sort of blend together like you know um but she was always so good at like I felt like adapting agatha christie but also sort of understanding the ways in which you may need to tweak things yes and and make for a slightly more modern retelling i know she kind of got slammed for that but i always thought like as a writer i was like that's exactly who you want adapting your stories somebody that gets them yeah. and also understands the way in which they may need to shift a little for a different audience and a different medium so I, I
0: thought it was a pretty faithful adaptation because that I one watched it very yeah yeah so I don't I hope she didn't get slammed for that because the. Only I
1: don't think that one it was the next one the one with Bill Nye, and I can't remember the name oh, of it now, okay. but yeah. it was very good but she sort of changes like who the murderer is or something or like oh. how it came to be which is a pretty big change but like it works in this case where you're like okay I actually think this is a more this is more in line with the story you were telling you yeah. know like so yeah
0: well I bring this up not just to talk about Aiden Turner in a towel course, yeah, but, yeah. Because but I, I won't ever dodge it. that topic either yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um because I was talking about Jane Eyre having a moment Agatha Christie's and Then There Were None is also having a moment. Absolutely. A yeah. lot of authors are using that premise and not even shying away from their homage to that story. And the most recent one I can think of is Alice Feeney and Daisy Darker. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But several things like
1: yeah I, Peter you know. Swanson just did one um that I can't think of the name again I am the worst with titles like I uh, yeah. read so many books and I remember who wrote it a lot of the time but I'm like what was it called who
0: knows? right right Lucy Foley has Lucy said, Foley. Yeah. yeah both the
1: guest list is there and the hunting party are both kind yeah. of in their own
0: way why do you um, think because i i feel like and i had i don't know if you ever listened to smart bitches trashy oh books yeah. But yeah of course we do yeah. <laughs> but sarah was you know we were talking about like specific things that sort of trigger authors into writing kind of similar motifs like something that triggered paranormal romance in the early yeah. 2000s or they, you yeah, know yeah. things like this so why do you think this type of storytelling is having its moment
1: You know, I think it's like, it's kind of a, I think there's a lot of reasons. I think Mm -hmm. one of it, one of the things is that it's sort of a natural offshoot of like the sort of domestic thriller that became so popular. And I mean, Wife Upstairs, I think is very much in that domestic thriller thing. But I think as we all kind of pivoted from that, because there are only so many books about like rich people in rich neighborhoods (laughs) doing shady things that you can, you know, read. I think, you know, we all kind of at the same time were like, well, what if we took some of these things and moved them a little bit further afield, you know? And, and, um, and I just think there's something like so deeply satisfying about that structure. I think that like the strangers all stuck in a place together, you know, we've been telling that story. For thousands of years. We love that. Like I I would say, like even something like the Canterbury
0: Tales is a bunch of strangers, you know. Yeah, the tavern tale kind of idea of like we're all stuck in a tavern during a storm. Let's all tell stories. Let's all tell stories. And then yeah. So
1: I just think, like I said, I think there's something about us as humans, like that we just like that setup so much. And I do. I think that um as as thrillers kind of evolve and what's popular evolves, and you still like that kind of um aspirational feel like it's and I joke that like it's easier to write about like bad things happening to rich people like people kind of love to read like very privileged people taking it on the chin um I like to write that as well so (laughs) you can sort of still have that and you can still though give your you know readers this these sort of like high glam locations you know of islands and or like fancy hotels like because i think even like some tv i think something like the white lotus almost kind of dovetails into that you know of like these strangers brought together in some way but like you know events begin to spiral so yeah i think that's part of it i think it's just sort of a natural offshoot of the domestic thriller and all of us wanting to go a little further afield and all of us just really liking a bunch of strangers stuck together not trusting one another
0: well, I don't know how you do it, but it seems like between Jane Eyre and and then there were none. And now you've got like a Mary Shelley homage. I'm like, yes. are you in my id? Are you in my id writing just for me? Because these are my things. Yeah. Well, it's so like the Mary tell Shelley us about the villa. Yeah, the villa
1: is. Um, so it is basically I have always been obsessed with Mary Shelley, Lord Byron and, and, and their lives and like, and particularly the summer that they spent at Villa Diodati on Lake Geneva, I've always thought was so like ripe for like a storytelling perspective. Even if you take out like the amazingly transformative work of literature that came out of that summer from an 18-year-old girl, um, I you know it's just interesting. Like you know they're sort of the rock stars of their time in a lot of ways. They're these big personalities in this small space and. So that's always fun to work with. Um, so yeah, the villa is two, uh, in the present, two childhood best friends who have sort of gone on this vacation, both to kind of jumpstart their writing careers that have sort of stalled a little bit. Yeah. But the villa is the scene of a famous murder in the 70s. And we also get flashbacks then to the 70s into how this murder came about. And yeah, so my characters in the 70s are all uh based on the Villa Diodati crew so Lord Byron, Mary Shelley, Percy Shelley, Claire Claremont, and um, John Polidori. so and the ways in which they all sort of interact artistically, romantically, sexually, all those sorts of things um it was I mean it's just the. it's the most fun book I've ever written I mean of course I got it was that, like Mary Shelley was <laughs> basically Stevie Nicks like it doesn't and also like I got to dig into my love of like vintage horror and sort of because when I was rethinking like okay well if this person is Mary Shelley but in the 70s like what does she write what's her transformative piece of literature because Frankenstein already exists or you know And so looking at like the role of like women, especially in like 1970s horror and that there just were not as many names, obviously, whereas the guys were really killing it and sort of thinking about all that stuff like that was really fun to me, uh, digging back into my old like horror paperbacks and what have you.
0: I love that you're throwing back, you know, or or referencing these like vintage horror stories because... Mm -hmm like I said you have these gorgeous covers that have flowers yeah. and things on them this one has another love of mine which is the image of like lemons again yeah, yeah. like a teal or green seafoam kind of background so pretty god damn it she's making books just for me <laughs> and I can't have my hands on it yet you know <laughs> <laughs>
1: I got you covered on that I was but, like yeah. the lemons I need it even just it's... for display purposes <laughs> I just want like wallpaper of like that cover it's so pretty and I love that- that, like that's a really good case of like a publisher really getting what you're doing like st martin's has done such an amazing job uh and my cover designer is danielle
0: fiora i believe is her last name well uh, we uh, all need to take notes on her and her work Um, danielle
1: yes yeah, she is amazing and and she's done all three of the covers and does such a good job of like making them they're beautiful and they're inviting yeah. and i thought that they really stood out in a sea yeah. of like sort of darker covered thrillers yes of, Reckless Girls is bright yellow and pink, you know? I mean, um, shit
0: happens in Reckless Girls, but it's yeah, so- Yeah, and really dark stuff happens. Right. Like, you know- Oh, I love that contrast so and much. So,
1: and, and I was like, and that's the contrast that's also, like, inside the books. Like, every one of them are people being drawn into these seemingly beautiful and glamorous yes. things- and then having like horrible things happen and so I
0: love that the covers do that to you as well you know but it's still faithful even though the story itself is darker Reckless Girls takes place on a tropical island that's supposed to be paradise
1: yeah it's fun and that was one of the things that we really worked on when writing that book was with my editor was like it's got to feel like a great time until the lights come on, right. you know, like everybody's having a fabulous time, and then you're like, "Oh wait, what?" Like,
0: but the, so let's has- go back to the villa because I, I could, yeah. I mean, if I talk, if you let me talk about your covers, okay, <laughs> I will. <laughs> so you, so good, they're so good. Message her and tell her that I, I wax I poetic about her work I on know. on my podcast. <laughs> but so Mary Shelley. Okay, so let's yes. talk about that with the villa.
1: Okay. Yes. So with Mary Shelley, like, again, I just love her. I think that she's an endlessly fascinating human being. And I think that, you know, people know a lot about her, obviously, but I don't think like, again, just how young she was and how much life she'd already been through by the time she gets to Lake Geneva in 1816 to write Frankenstein, you know, she's had a baby, she's lost a baby. She's, you know, been estranged from her family. She's run across Europe with this married man and her sister. and uh, I mean, there's just been so much stuff. And so I just think that she's such an endlessly fascinating person. And so I, I loved getting to write my own, you, know, fictionalized version of her. I'm my Mary Godwick in, uh, in the villa is not like a necessarily a one for one with Mary Shelley. but I getting to incorporate parts of her life, the the death of her mother, the estrangement from her father, the relationship with Percy, that sort of thing. Um, I mean, it was just, it was the most fun. And also imagining like what kind of horror novel a woman like that, an 18 year old girl like that writes in the seventies. Right. Um, and in this case, you know, she writes a book in the book within the book is called Lilith Rising. Because I wanted her to have this kind of like... Oh my gosh. Yeah, but she wrote like this like piece of feminist horror as well. Because I think like Frankenstein, again, like somebody that studied Victorian lit and also like, you know, did grad school and all that kind of stuff. Like I've read Frankenstein a bajillion times. And every time though, there's like some sort of new theme. I was like, she was so interested in these really big ideas that I just think are like how amazing to be 17, 18 and like these are the big thoughts you're thinking. So I wanted to be sure that like my Mary also had big thoughts, you know, and that she was really trying to unpack some stuff.
0: Will fans ever get a Lilith Rising? <laughs> <laughs> I really kind of want
1: to write it now because I, I spent a lot of time like, just, like my main character Emily finds a copy of Lilith Rising in the house and and getting to describe like to like the 1970s paperback horror cover where it's like it's got silver foil and there's a step back and you know yeah. blonde girl with her hand covered in blood and this whole thing that was so fun that now I kind of wish it existed and there are excerpts from Lilith Rising throughout the book so maybe one day because especially because like I wanted to use it but I also wanted the reader as they're reading the book to be like oh I'd like more of this like I need more context for you know so I don't know, maybe one day. I might
0: lead a fan uprising <laughs> demanding Lilith Rising.
1: We really ought to make like Lilith Rising merch or like start a whole thing where people think it's a real book.
0: A Spotify <laughs> list or something. Yeah. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, well, so you have the villa. Oh, real quick i will tell you and i told chris walder uh she was on here talking i had a mary shelley episode early oh, on oh yeah for
1: unnatural natural creatures which i'm so excited about
0: yeah so i'll have her on soon but she came yeah. on to just talk about mary shelley mm-hmm. and Uh, I shared with her, and since you are a Victorian scholar, you will appreciate this, since I went to the University of Texas, I have access to, and I still have access to, and like anybody in Austin has access to the Harry Ransom Center, which is their humanities research center, and when I was a student, um, and I had transferred in, I had started at community college and transferred into the the University of Texas, so I'm there my first semester as an art history major trying to find myself, and I'm wandering around their collection and happen upon did not expect to see a lock of her hair oh wow and apparently it's from the lee hunt connect collection he yeah uh lee hunts and you know like their circle of friends and everything so mm-hmm. there's hair from byron and percy shelley and like everybody everybody like from that was a pre-raphaelite or romantic in some way they were all that friends is, right oh
1: cool. so, yeah so everybody's like just give me a little bit of your hair man Let's so please. it's this <laughs>
0: album and you can look virtually online if, if you go to the harry ransom center website you can look at the at the lee hunt hair collection because that victorians is. were into hair collection oh, absolutely Absolutely,
1: and, yeah. and all yeah. of that so yeah. he's kind of a weird guy anyway <laughs> so that right
0: well like, and I just sort of stared at that lock of hair going yeah I bet the closest I'll ever come to her it was wild it was yeah wild to see that so that is so
1: cool but I, I joke that my closest thing is that I did go to Rome a few years ago and, uh, and got to see Percy Shelley's grave. And but <gasps> one of the funniest things about it was my husband was teaching over there at the time. And so I was going over with our son later. So he'd been there a few weeks before yeah. we were coming. And I text him and I was like, so I need to go to Percy Shelley's grave. This is the cemetery um, because I need to tell him some things about himself. And like, I might need to fight his spirit at his grave. And my husband, like within like a few minutes was like, okay well like here's the bus route that we would need to take. it was like it completely ignored that i was like i need to fight a dead man he was just so used to that kind of thing he gets you like well here's (laughs) the best bus to go fight the dead man so but it's a beautiful cemetery so i saw him and keats and his grave is quite nice so wow whatever jersey Whatever. I love that
0: your husband gets you. You need to write that moment into a book too. <laughs>
1: I did, I did. Yes, he, he truly does. He was not phased at all. Like, what do you uh, mean? You need to fight a guy that died in the 18th? I need to fight. Him.
0: So yeah, well, but of course you do. <laughs>
1: of course I do. Like he yeah. did a lot of bad things. Need to fight. I always joke that like Lord Byron gets, and Lord Byron deserves a lot of the shit he gets. Sure but i was like at least with lord byron like it was all on the tin like you knew what you were getting into <laughs> like, No I was kidding yeah there was uh, nothing there was no subterfuge there but with percy he was like your nice guy you know and then yeah. would turn around and sleep with your stepsister so
0: <laughs> it yeah it, and made her walk on foot through like while she was pregnant through europe and the whole yeah. thing
1: And she blamed him basically for the death of one of their babies because like she wanted to slow down and he wouldn't and the baby got a fever and, which is another thing that I used in the villa.
0: Well, I hope he gets his just desserts in the villa. So yeah, don't you worry. You've got me (laughs) covered. covered. Thank you. Thank you so Such much. You know. <laughs> well, let's talk about before we end today, I want wow. readers to know we're going to be heading into Halloween here. We're all, you know, our, our group of people celebrates Halloween for two months. We're already well into Halloween. So oh yeah.
1: Know. No, I, I've been there like around, I always joke that summer for me ends on 4th of July, even though <laughs> yeah. since I live in Alabama, summer does not actually end until like November the 3rd. Right. Um, But for me personally, After Fourth of July, it's all pumpkin and apple candles and all my
0: black cat merch comes out. We are the same people. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So tell us about the Kiss Curse because that has got good witchy atmosphere and all the good spooky goodness and it's adorable and spooky, you know,
1: all those good things. Like I always joke that Christmas romance and I love a good Christmas romance. Don't get me wrong, but christmas romance got too much of the market for too long it's time for halloween romance there we go um because i was like you've got all the same kind of stuff it's the weather is cooler it's cozy you've got an added element of like the spookiness drawing you closer together like it's a very romantic holiday in my opinion um so yeah the kiss curse is the follow-up to the x-hex but you do not have to have read the x-hex oh okay read the kiss curse i mean obviously i think they go better together but, you know, you can absolutely jump in on the Kiss Curse. I wanted it to stand alone. Um, so, yeah, it's our little town of Graves Glen, Georgia, which is basically like Halloween Town, USA. It's a little town in the mountains of North Georgia where they're just big into Halloween. Witches happen to live there, although the humans that live there don't know that. Um, and in the Kiss Curse, we follow one of those witches, Gwen Jones, who runs a little witchy shop downtown called Something Wicked. And a Welsh witch named Wells Penhallow. Welsh witch Wells is really hard to say. Um, <laughs> and he opens up his own competing shop. Sparks fly in every way. And then, when a mysterious new coven comes to town and Gwen begins to lose her powers, they must team up to figure out what's going on. So, yeah, it's full of all of the Halloween goodness. I joke that it puts the spice in pumpkin spice. <laughs> uh, and yeah they're just the most fun to write I mean because I just I go into every like you know everybody's eating like caramel apple pie and like you know dressing up and everything's lit up with like purple twinkle lights and it just gets it it. goes really hard on the Halloween so it's a lot of fun
0: I love it. It is cozy and spooky, and like that's my jam. So, yes, same. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, well, we look forward to those and we will be posting about those. Thank Excellent. you so much for joining me today. What an absolute treat. I got to talk about all my favorite things.
1: <laughs> this was so fun. Thank you so much for having me because it's all my favorite things as well. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Thanks for joining us today on She Wore Black. You can follow the show on Instagram and Twitter if you follow the links on our website at shewarblackpodcast.com. We have some great episodes coming your way, so be sure to subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or Google Podcasts. You can also support the podcast by shopping at our online bookstore at bookshop.org slash shop slash black. Every purchase you make through our storefront, be it the books on my lists or any books you find in a search from our front page, will support the cost that goes into show production as well as supporting independent bookstores nationwide. Thanks again for joining us today and happy reading.